Welcome to the June 14th, 2018 edition of the Science Fiction Club on Flag Day this year. I actually remembered it, because I usually don't remember that holiday. Anyway, um, we are here talking about our favorite books, or our least favorite books, or something we read recently, or long, long ago. So... Uh, we will start with whomever wants to push the button first, and we'll go around and talk about the books that we decided to uh, talk about this month. Well, I seem to blip through first, so I guess I'll go first. I wanted to tell you about a book called Acts of War by James Young. It is the first volume of a series called The Usurper's War. And it is a book that I scanned for Bookshare, and I don't know if further volumes are even available, because it's kind of obscure in the first place. But first of all, there is some question as to whether this is really science fiction. Um, It is an alternate history story, not one that involves time travel or anything like that. And a lot of people have said that they think that alternate history should have a genre of its own. And actually, I tend to agree, but these things are always classified as science fiction. And in fact, I'm not sure there are enough of them to warrant a whole entire genre of its own. But the point is, with an alternate history story, you consider our real history and ask what if a certain thing happened a different way than it is known to have happened and what the repercussions would be. Um, That is the only fantastic supposition to it. So, you know, is that really science fiction? But let's call it science fiction for this purpose. In this story, in our real history, in 1941, there was an attempted assassination of Adolf Hitler. Somebody set a bomb in a room where he was, and the bomb went off right after he had left the room, so he was unharmed, and I think there may have been one person who was killed, but Hitler got away. In this story acts of war Uh, Hitler didn't get out of the room in time and he was assassinated and that has all sorts of repercussions that changes the direction of World War II entirely Um, as a result the King of England dies sooner than he would have died and Queen Elizabeth becomes queen at the age of 16. The attack on Pearl Harbor never happens, but the United States and Japan get into the war with each other anyway. And I think it was... um, Who was it who took over from Hitler? I forget now. It was either Himmler or Adolf Eichmann who became the Fuhrer. And, well... The story just follows a fictional World War II that unfolds different, completely differently from any World War II that we read about in our history books. 
and at the end of the story well things aren't quite entirely wrapped up the war seems to be coming to an end but there are a lot of loose strings to be tied together and it comes to an end with well there's a volume two coming and I don't know where you can find the volume two but I did scan this volume one for Bookshare and you might want to check it out well, I think it's kind of grandfathered, alternate history is kind of grandfathered in now, whether it, people think it should be in there or not now, because Philip K. Dick wrote alternate history and, you know, The Man in the High Castle, and and that's a, considered a classic of science fiction by a lot of people. Um, and there's some other authors, I think, who've done alternate history who, who've been or classified as science fiction authors, so I think their books kind of get... Uh, put in there, um, whether they're whether people today think they're science fiction or not. Um, so it's probably close enough. You know, the second book is available from Audible. I'm afraid I don't remember the title. Oh, in fact, it's a little confusing because it's not clear to me. That the second book is the second book. There may it may in fact be the third book, and I can't haven't been able to find any further books if if there are any. It was pretty enjoyable, and that is definitely one by James Young, because this what I scanned was um, an indie book. So if the second volume was available from Audible. I'd be a little surprised at that, but the author is James Young. Yes, he is. Roger. Okay, I guess I'll be the next to review a book. Um, I read a book called A Man of Two Worlds by uh, Brian and... Uh, what's her? Yeah, I forgot, I forgot the name or <laughs> the author's name. Let me just take a quick look here for a moment. It's Frank Herbert and Brian Herbert. You got it there, and them very good. I believe they were, or he, or Frank wrote the Dune series, I believe. Yes, and Brian is his son. Exactly. And they collaborated on this book, which uh, in the description it describes it as sort of a humorous science fiction book. And it is, I, to some degree, I think. It has to do with a alien species called the Dreen. I suppose, I don't know how it's spelled, I guess in Bookshare, it's there, that's the advantage of being able to read it with Bookshare to know the spelling. But anyway, they have the ability of dreaming and, and, and through imagery inventing the universe, and they invent, supposedly invented Earth uh, back in their history. And um, a young dream named Lyle had run off with a ship, and he was in inner space, and he collided with an Earth ship by this playboy guy named uh, Lud Hansen, who was trying to discover the the secret of the dreams of being able to travel from one end of the universe to the other in a, in a short time so that so he could distribute his newspapers. He was the son of a very rich... Um, you know, a um, businessman. At any rate, the, the, the ships collided, and um, l- both of them were almost killed. They were virtually killed, but uh, Lyle, the dreamer, was able to take over 
the remains of Lud and 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 revitalize him, and it turns out the two the two of them were inhabiting the same body. So through the rest of the book, you have the, the struggle between the two to take dominance of the body and all the different adventures that Lud, who was like a playboy, was doing. Um, there was time when they went to Venus and spent some time on Venus. Was was very interesting to how they how they described Venus. Um, and uh, in the meantime, the dreams were considering Earth to be a, a danger to the rest of the universe, and they were deciding to send the ship out. In fact, the ship that was sent out, the per- that crashed with the Earth ship, the purpose was to destroy Earth. They, they considered that Earth was a danger to the universe because of the aggressiveness of humanity. So there was an inner struggle on one hand among the dream, their leader and matriarch was named Habiba, and uh, it was, they were, the dreams are very passive people and spending most of their time just dreaming or, or making imagery of, of, of different things. But when they saw that the earth was, was being a danger, they, there were factions within them that decided that they had to destroy earth to save the rest, rest of the universe. At any rate, there the, the the book goes on with that, and at the end, it turns out that well, one, well a couple other things I wish I mentioned too that on Venus there's a there's a, a war between France and China for dominance, and they're they're fighting it out on Venus, and 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 the far the, the French Foreign Legion is a very important part of that, and there's this real sexy lady who was in the their I guess you could say they're brothel there, and she uh, is a you know she falls in love with well she sees Lud, but she also realizes the Lud is inhabited by Lyo and she's attracted to Lyo. At any rate, at the end, um, Lud is is killed and Lyo Lyo becomes is able to su- survive and I think he implants himself in another body. In the meantime, um, Lud's uncle who's sort of a guru and lives out in the swamps of Florida with his half-seminal wife, is able to do all kinds of strange things and, and knows exactly what's going on with a dream. And he eventually, I think the book ends with, 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 with everything ending out okay, ending up okay. Earth is not destroyed. Um, Lyle, I think, is able to... to get this, this, this woman who was a... Who was a as I say in the, in, the, in, the, in the French Foreign Legion's brothel, but was was a virgin. So I'm just skimming over it, but it was rather, it was rather an entertaining book. And for those who haven't read it, I would certainly recommend it. I read it, but it was a long time ago, and I don't remember it real well. But I do remember enjoying it. It was somewhat humorous and, and lighthearted. But uh, yeah, it was the only collaboration that uh, they did, as far as I know. Um, but uh, it, it was, it, and I don't know who wrote what. Um, Frank Herbert was definitely the better writer, but um, but it was. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, back when I was a little kid, one of the first sci-fi books I read was Rocket Ship Galileo by Robert A. Heinlein. And the book I read for this month, and in fact the only science fiction book I've had much interest in reading, was Red Thunder by John Varley. 
it's on Bard. I don't remember how long it is or the book number. It's very much like rocket ship Galileo. These, well, I guess you'd call them, they just graduated from high school. Kids uh, nearly run over this astronaut who was fired from the space program because of being an alcoholic. Um, and he has a cousin who's an well, he's actually suffered brain damage from something, and he develops a system of developing a continuous thrust uh, system so that instead of taking months to get to Mars, it takes like two days, and they he this. These group of kids build a spaceship out of railroad tank cars and proceed to take off from a place in Florida, uh, much to the despair of government agencies. And they get to Mars and land and drive around a bit because they build a rover out of a pickup truck and they're waiting in the Chinese land and they have the kids have some interactions with with them and then discover that the US's space vehicle exploded so they set off to rescue the US people and they do rescue the survivors and then come back to earth i really enjoyed the book because it's not to- particularly serious, but it's also kind of dark because all of the kids have problems. The primary character's father was killed in a drug deal. Another one, her mother was murdered by her father. Um, it's a little darker than I'd like it, but I found it very enjoyable. Um, and would recommend it very highly. It may be considered part of a series. I think there's another series called Red Lightning and Rolling Thunder, which I think are all kind of in the same universe. And they're all available on Bard. Sounds good. Um, The book I would like to review is an old favorite of mine, I have been spending a good deal of time in the last couple of months reading escape literature because I have had a lot of stuff to do. I've had a huge medical issue, and then my cat has not been feeling well, so I have been a little on the gloomy side in my regular everyday life, and so I have been reading mostly fantasy, but... um. I would like to recommend to you, on Bard, a DB64847, I believe is the number. It's by Arthur C. Clarke, and it's called A Fall of Moon Dust. And it is a classic. Um, It is a disaster book, if you will. 
Um, it is it is the story of a moon bus, uh, sort of a uh, moon vehicle, about like a bus, about the same size as a bus, and it takes tours out on the Sea of Dust, uh, which Arthur C. Clarke imagines is on the moon, and they go across the Sea of Dust, and there is a moonquake, and the bus... Uh, is sucked down into the dust and is buried some feet below the surface. And so it's a disaster book. It's a, you know, the classic rescue book with the, the various different kinds of people and how they react and so forth. It's a very good read. I I enjoy it. Um, I have read it numbers of times. My particular version, I called off Bard uh back in the day and it's read by Robert Donnelly but uh the current bard version is read by Fred Major and he's okay i mean he's not bad and you know i'm sure you'll get the same good reading that uh that you know donnelly did although i have to say if i was going to choose readers if i had them right before me i'd choose the donnelly book in <laughs> in a minute in a second um but anyway um, I just like to say that it's it's a it's a light read. It's a um, good summer read. It's uh, a non-thinking type of book, and yet it has some good science fiction in it, good speculative fiction, and it uh, has some very good character development. So. Um, that's what I'm recommending. A Fall of Moon Dust by Arthur C. Clarke. The title is very pro- uh, provocative. I remember having seen it. Yeah, I never read the Fred Major version. I've read the Donnelly version. I remember reading that when I was in grade school. I think I was like 7th or 8th grade. I don't remember when it was published. Um, um, before Rendezvous with Rama, I think. but I could be wrong. But it, I remember reading it in the early 70s but I think it was published earlier than that because I got it on those 10 I got it on those 10 inch 16 rpm records and Donnelly was reading it but that could have been in the early 70s because they were still making those then um, anyhow yeah it was a fun read um, I like Clark's uh, more grander uh, grander stuff uh, more far future stuff but but it's a good book still I got bumped out of the room so I didn't hear all of what Anne had to say about a fall of moon dust. But I was thinking back in about 1968 or 69, when I was in high school, I read that book back then. And by the way, I haven't read it since, but I still remember it. And I remember people were making fun of me for reading a book about people walking around on the moon. That was utterly impossible. No one would ever reach the moon. And just a few months later, there were people walking around on the moon. Isn't that interesting? And, you know, it's it's amazing what people think and what people what people do, you know. And there are people that are doing the same thing about driverless cars. And I think we're going to have driverless cars. It's going to take a while. 
And there are also people who are inventing uh, driverless um, air vehicles, uh, low low altitude air vehicles. Um, I don't know what you call them. Not helicopters, but uh, some kind of low altitude vehicles that would uh, would fly, say, 200 feet above the uh, above the earth and um, you know, this has been seen in science fiction for ages. You know, so it's amazing. But uh, as I say, it's a good summer read. It's, you know, it's definitely a good summer read. It's, um, I think I recorded the records as a matter of fact. I think it's like eight sides of of the, the 10-inch records, whatever that was, 45 minutes a side or something. So it's what, six hours, seven hours, something like that. It's not long. As a, and as I say, it's a good summer read. Yeah, I think you're thinking of those autonomous drones. Uh, Amazon, or well, many people are working on them, but Amazon especially has been publicly known to be working on them to make deliveries. Uh, but airline airline jets are already virtually autonomous. Uh, it's pretty open secret that they don't really need the pilots in those planes. They're there for the benefit of the passengers. Uh, There was even an article on The Economist, though it was a while back, about pilots needing uh, skill erosion among pilots because they're so seldom needed to actually do work in the cockpits of these jetliners because so much of the stuff is already done for them and they very seldom need to do much and their skills are eroding. So uh, there was a, a little article about that and how to keep their skills up, the need to keep them up. Um, anyway, uh, so driverlessness is coming. It's already nearly here in some ways, but there, there's the human element, uh, as I said, in airlines. But um, anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting subject. Well, um, this is kind of a coincidence because I uh, could, was racking my brain as to what to talk about this month because I'm in the middle of a well, I finished one book, but I, I was proofreading it for Bookshare, but I haven't checked it in yet because I have to do some final uh, checking of, and fixing up of some things and checking on a few things. And I won't get it done till next week because I have to go away for the weekend. But uh, And I'm in the middle of a couple of other things. So I decided to talk about one of my favorite books, and it's on my favorites list that I put on the SF Club list. It's Dune by Frank Herbert. Our club never did it. I think many people have read it, but I don't think everyone has read it, so I'm going to talk about that for a bit. It's one of my favorite books. Um, I know many people who like it a lot, but don't like the sequels, which I also liked, uh, until Herbert passed away and stopped writing them. And then his son and Kevin J. Anderson took over and wrote many inferior volumes, some of which I've read, so I know they're inferior. I wasn't just assuming that. Um, I've read four of them, I think, and I decided that was enough. But I did want to read the uh, ending of the Dune series that supposedly was built on Herbert's uh, notes. Um... Sandworms of Dune and Hunters of Dune and Sandworms of Dune. But anyway, Dune was the book that started it off, and it was published in 1965. And most of it, actually, it's composed of three books. It's a novel, and it's a rather long novel. On cassette, it's uh, 
16 sides, um, 15 sides. I'm not sure how long the barred version is because I don't have it. Uh, um, the version I remember, and I've read it quite a few times, though I haven't read it for years, but I remember it well enough to give a pretty good review of it, um, was read by John Barrell, and they've got a new version up on Bard read by J.P. Linton. And if I had read his version first, I'm sure I would have thought it was great because he did such a fabulous job with some other books that I've read, including the Golden Age Trilogy, which I will talk about at some other point. I'm thinking about rereading that this summer, so I'll probably talk about it in, in July or August, at least the first book. But anyway, Dune was three books, and most, if not all of them, were published in analog as serials. And um, the basic plot is pretty simple, um, though there are, though it does get a bit devious, and there's a lot of conspiracies and stuff. But that's not my main interest in the book, and I'll explain that in a minute. The basic plot is that um, there's a galactic empire. This was 53 years ago. That's I don't really care about books with that in them now, but back then that was still uh, not uh, odd sounding. And there's an emperor, and there are houses, noble houses, who are not warring exactly, but they assassinate each other's leaders and their um, uh, supporters and their henchmen and whatever. But one of the houses seems to be, you know, a pretty good character, and it's the Atreides house, and... um, They've been ordered by the Emperor to take over the planet Dune, which has a, a drug called Melange, more commonly or often known as the spice, which gives longevity. So it's kind of like, the, as Herbert put it, it's kind of like the oil. You know, it's kind of a, a stand-in for what oil was back, you know, and still is to, to a most extent. Um, and so it's an extremely valuable planet and so there's a great deal of you know the economy is based uh, you know this interstellar economy is a lot of it is based on that and of course everybody wants it and they're addicted to it so but it's really a trap because the emperor is secretly siding with the how the house atreides enemies the harkonnens and what's going to happen is that Duke Leto, he's a popular man, and a popular man arouses the jealousy of the powerful, as some one character in Dune or other said. And so he's going to take over the planet Dune, and then the Harkonnens are going to come in with secret support from the Emperor and oust them and get rid of them and put the Harkonnens back in charge. And the Emperor will be rid of a perceived enemy... A perceived rival, and then things will be great, and everybody will be making money and all that stuff. But, um, but they don't plan to do it through sheer combat. Combat's a part of it, but there's a traitor in their midst, the, the midst of the House of Atreides, and he has compassion for the son and the mother. Um, there's the Duke. Uh, Leto, and there's the son Paul, and the and his mother is Jessica, but she's not a wife. Um, she's a concubine, and so he g- arranges for them to escape into the desert. And so, in the second book, Paul and his mother escape into the desert, and they meet the Fremen, who are the tribes who live in the desert on this dune. Dune is a desert planet. 
There's so many things to tell, I don't get them in the right order. But anyway, Dune is a desert planet, and the spice is very hard to mine. It has to be mined. It's created by these sandworms, the chemical reactions, and uh, when they are in part of their life cycle, create this spice. And it's very hard to mine because they have intense sandstorms and the climate is hostile. And, but people live out in the desert. And so Paul and his mother uh, finally are accepted into the Fremen. And then they take back the planet from the Harkonnens. The, um, they harry them and finally the emperor has to come back. And uh, this time he's, you know, he's going to settle the dispute as he tries to pretend that he's an honest broker and but there's a combat a big battle at the end and Paul Atreides takes over the Emperor's throne that's the basic plot and it's not a spoiler because you can tell pretty much early on that he is successful Frank Herbert did this really cool thing uh, that very few authors have done and it's really neat because um, he Instead of using chapter one, chapter two, and so on, and having chapter titles, he put he doesn't even call them chapters. He just puts these epigraphs at the beginning of each new chapter, and they're they can be very short or very long from these fictional journals, and it kind of creates atmosphere and gives information that would kind of weigh down the the plot or you know slow down the story. And so you can tell pretty much early on that Paul becomes, you know, the re- he's he's kind of a religious leader for these Fremen. And but the the that's the basic plot. And there's conspiracies, and you know there are groups who are uh, manipulating both sides. And um, because Paul is the product of a breeding program, he's a genius. He's got metal powers. He can see into the future, you know, uh, not into the future, but into many futures, and he can he can make decisions about how to manipulate the future and so on. And um, Because there's a group called the Bene Gesserit, and his mother happens to be one, and she trained him in their, many of their uh, esoteric arts of observation and control of the body and mental disciplines and so on, and but he was also trained as a mentat by the staff mentat Thufur Hawat, who every every house has to have mentats because they computers have been outlawed in the Dune universe, and so human beings have kind of taken on those who are able have kind of taken on the tasks that uh, computers used to do. Um, but they do more than our computers do because uh, these mentats are. You know, they're like political advisors. They take in enormous amounts of data about politics and economics, and they can decide, you know, what other people may do. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of what people are doing now with big data. And, you know, when you have all this data about people and what they do and what they buy and where they go online, and you can start making, you know, fairly decent predictions about what they're going to like and what they're not going to like and and where they're going to go and what they're going to buy and... Anyway, it's it's really interesting. But but my main interest in the book was kind of these human potential angles, you know, because Herbert really doesn't just talk about them. He he gets into their heads. He shows what it's like for Paul to actually view the possible futures and um and he shows what it's like to, you know, for mentats to to take in information and 
and how they how they sort of calculate what what the likely possibilities are in the future and and so on and that was all real fascinating to me in addition he really invokes he really evokes and invokes the environment of the the planet because before uh paul and jessica meet the fremen they they have to do some traveling in the desert and he really and of course they see some sandworms they're really huge creatures um and they're very dangerous um so um Anyway, that's the kind of the basic outline of Dune, the classic, and uh, I could say a lot more about it, of course, because it's one of my favorite books. But that's uh, that's kind of the basic idea. I understand that the desert planet in Star Wars—I forget what they named that. Um, uh, well, I understand that that was based on Dune. Yeah, Tatooine. Yeah, there was a lot of jokes about that. Um, I think even Herbert made some of them about how much they'd copied, and there were giant creatures in the in the desert of Tatooine. Also, I think that didn't they get Jabba the Hutt's big ship, or you know his big yacht, or whatever that he was partying on, or something? I can't remember. But yeah, yeah, there was quite a bit of uh, cribbing from Dune in uh, Star Wars on that uh, desert planet. I remember thinking that when I read the Star Wars thing back in the beginning. Um, and I've read several of the Star Wars things, but, you know, uh, it's been a while since I've read any of the Star Wars. Oh, will you shut up, computer? Okay. Um, it's, it's been a while since I've read any of that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I enjoyed Dune, but I didn't like the sequels because they got too political. It got to be like foundation and uh, before foundation and after foundation and um, above foundation and below foundation and uh, it just was all this political stuff and I I just I like a good story Um, and I don't mind a little bit of political malarcus but I don't like the whole book to be full of it. Oh, well, Dune Messiah, I might as well say a few words about that because it was so fascinating. Herbert did something that, well, um, because Paul, um, and I'm not sure how to explain this exactly, but anyway, he there are a lot of people who are conspiring against him, and he he sees a way out of it to save him and his children, but... Um, near the end of the book he he makes a choice and follows a path of the future in such detail that he when he is blinded he can still see because his memory of what he saw in the future was so clear that he could see without eyes and i even told frank herbert he was on uh, larry king's show one time i said that's a pretty horrible thing when you think about it, knowing what's going to happen in the future, every good thing and every bad thing, especially since he lost his his uh, wife, and he knew he was going to lose his wife, and he knew exactly how he was going to lose her. But I couldn't resist an emotional fascination with his ability to see without eyes, because he saw the future so clearly. But it was really a trap, because he 
he couldn't make any choices because if he had chosen to step off the track, then he would have gone blind. And uh, other things would have happened that were less pleasant than the unpleasant things that were happening already. So it was a fascinating idea. David! Hello, everybody. I haven't, I haven't read a lot of science fiction since I've been on here, and it's been a little while, I realize. Um, and I um, did want to say I... Uh, when I heard about the John Farley book, it reminded me that I had read one, but I can't remember the name of it. Now, I think the one that was mentioned tonight is the first in about a four-book series, because I know I read I read a different one, but it sounded like it was related to that one, where they're exploring the... Um, in the um, universe, heading to another planet, and it's about it's it's about two two sisters. I believe they're twins. And I'm sorry that I don't remember the name of it, but John Farley, I do think, has a series. The book that I did read was called The Moon. I believe The Moon and Other, and it talks about it is it's about a world a group of civilizations or of societies that are on the moon. And one is a matriarchy ruled by women where men do not have much power. The other societies on the moon don't like that. They range from typical type capitalistic societies to sort of libertarian anything goes societies. And this book is to me is most interesting because it shows the interactions of these different societies on the moon and and how several characters have to negotiate the um the different different social happenings and different events on the moon different political events but um i've got to pull that title up for you i mean the number i haven't i haven't pulled the number up and i should have but it was the moon and i believe it was called the moon and other and it was really interesting. Oh, I should make a correction. Paul didn't lose his wife in the second book. He lost his concubine. He had to marry the emperor's daughter for political reasons. And but uh, he never. He was always true to his fremen concubine. That's who he lost, and he loved her. He didn't love the emperor's daughter. He just did that. Well, you know how royal stuff is. How that stuff works. Anyway, I just had to make that correction because I misspoke. And I hate doing that about my favorite books. Nobody's perfect, only God. The Moon and Other. Uh, so, any more info about what, what it's about? or it dealt, it dealt with several characters. One <clears throat> was sent from the Moon's richest um, society, which was based on... On of all things, based on ancient Persia, well, based on Persia, and how he ends up infiltrating the society run by women because the, they want to take it over, and it, it just tells you. I liked the way some of the technology was handled, and I just thought the way the society was handled was interesting because, in uh, I'm sorry, in that society, the matriarchal society, as I said, women held the power. Women held the power. And it's how he tries to infiltrate them and help take it over. It, it's I just liked it because it created an interesting world. Some science fiction authors have that unique ability to create a world. John Varley can do it as well. That made, It's a world that you want to go visit. 
Well, yeah, and the plot is secondary in some of these kinds of books. I mean, even in the Dune book, the world is, you know, that wasn't my main interest, but that's a real big part of it is the world and the and the ecology and, you know, the, the um, human potential angles and stuff. The plot is kind of uh, something to hang all those things on. I don't know if Frank Herbert would have seen it that way, but, but if it's, you know, there are books that are kind of like that, and the plot is... You know, there, but it's really that's not always what I read books for. Um, sometimes it's just to be in a certain world and have the atmosphere and the the writing style and things like that can that can be really evocative. By the way, have you guys ever seen the movie made for Dune? And the reason I bring that up is because, um, generally speaking, when a movie is made out of a book. I almost always think that the book was better because, for one thing, by the very nature of movies, they have to be kind of sketchy, but they also tend to change things around. It just doesn't work out too well. And I think the movie that was made from Dune um, was one of the worst ever because, um, frankly, if you hadn't read the book I don't see how you could understand what was going on. It was so sketchy. But um, And I was thinking, since we were talking about Star Wars, whoever, the people who made the movie Dune could have taken from lessons, some lessons from Star Wars because Star Wars, well, it wasn't a very good movie either when you consider that the acting was terrible, the um, dialogue was stilted, and... The plot was so sketchy in the first place, but those visual effects, those of you who were born blind, you really missed something. Fortunately, before I lost my eyesight, I was able to see it. Those visual effects were utterly fantastic, and if the people who had made the movie Dune had done that, they just might have saved their movie. (laughs) There are actually two movies from Dune. One is a short version, about two hours, and the other is about four hours long, and it follows the book fairly closely. Um, Not exactly, but it's a lot closer than the average movie. Yeah, there are two movies. Uh, One of them, I think the Sci-Fi Channel did. They did a movie of Children of Dune also, which I haven't seen. I'd like to have seen it. But um, the one with Sting, the version of the movie Dune with Sting in it, uh, it was one of the worst things I've ever... And I was so excited to, to go see it. I was in California visiting my my parents at the time, and oh, my mother went with me for that, and it was one of the worst things I've ever heard. It was, the, And it wasn't just because the plot was sketchy, because it was, you know, because the movie was, you know, so short... They, they made caricatures out of, you know, the character, many of the characters. They glorified, um, you know, they, they, they had these things called heart plugs and uh, the Harkonnens, who were evil enough in the book, but they were not. So they would just pull these things out of people and they would just bleed to death from their chests. Um, and, and all kinds of goofy stuff like that that wasn't in the book. And, oh, it was just Oh, completely a, a travesty! How Frank Herbert ever passed on that movie? Because, from what I heard, he knew what it was like. 
I just, oh man, I could rave a lot about that. It was just utterly horrible. Uh, I put the name of the book in the edit box, and I was going to ask you, uh, Evan, what did you think about those collaborations with his son? They were the House of Atreides, and there were two other ones. They're prequel books, I believe. No, I don't think they were with his son. Um, I don't believe he wrote any collaborations with his son except the one that Martin mentioned, Man of Two Worlds, which wasn't a Dune... He collab- Brian, his son, collaborated with Kevin J. Anderson, and I read, I read the two books that they did uh, that were supposedly based on Herbert's outline as to how the story should end, uh, Hunters of Dune and Sandworms of Dune, and then there was another one called The Winds of Dune that was supposed to take place between Dune and Dune Messiah, I think. And there was another one called Paul of Dune, which I forget when it takes place. I See, I don't even remember them. Um, they, uh, they're they not as good, because they, they have a lot of the political conspiracy and so on that uh, Herbert had in his, but they lack the philosophical depth, and they don't have the psychological depth. You know, as I said when I was talking about Dune, he talked about what it, what it was like to be you know, a mentat, or to view the possible futures, and to be, you know, a Bene Gesserit, observing, you know, with their uncanny ways of observing, and and their mental discipline and all. He got into people's heads who were, you know, mentally uh, a step up from, you know, the average person today. Uh, the, his son just isn't up to that level. I mean, he can't do that. I mean, he, he does talk about it from time to time, but he just doesn't have his father's gift, you know, for that. And, you know, that's got to come with, with from within. I know Lissy and I have talked about this before. A writer can only draw from inside what he has. He can only talk about what he's got inside. And if he doesn't have, you know, whatever it is, the spiritual development or, or a moral outlook of some kind, or, or he's not going to be able to show it in his stories. And, you know, Frank Herbert had... You know, he was extremely intelligent and sensitive, and um, his son, you know, I'm not saying he's not intelligent or anything, but he just doesn't have the same kind of ability to to, to do that sort of thing that Herbert had, that his father had. He doesn't have the philosophical, you know, depth that, you know, so, so they're politically, they're, they're kind of interesting, and there's all kinds of assassinations and plotting and combat and double dealing and all that stuff that the original Dune had but but that was only part of Dune but he never got the other parts well I wasn't aware that there was more than one movie made of Dune but apparently I must have seen the same one that uh, Evan saw because the one I saw was awful and Frank Herbert did approve of it and I can't imagine why except that well, I'm sure he was paid a pretty penny for the uh, movie rights, so that might have been why he approved it, because he got so much money for it. Well, that's what I was going to say. The answer to that question is the the classic question, qui bono? Qui bono? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I Unfortunately, that might be the case. His wife was extremely ill, um, I know he mentions some of that in uh, at the end of uh, Chapter House Dune. Um, he had obviously huge medical expenses. Uh, maybe that was part of it. I don't know. But yeah, um, that might be it. Anyway, uh, it was.
it was terrible and I would hate to think that people would judge the book based on that movie but yeah I'd like to see the sci-fi version because um, I never did they aired it I got some of it but I never got it from the beginning and um, so that that you know that would have been great but maybe it's out there somewhere I'll have to look for it I'm just wondering uh, the planet Arrakis where the spice comes from is sort of the center of this universe I'm just wondering what other planets were around? Doesn't doesn't Earth get a mention as where some of them came from? I don't remember much about their universe. Well, there's Gay de Prime, which is where the uh, Harkonnens lived, and there's Caladan, where the Atreides originally lived before they went to Arrakis, and there's Seleucia Secundus, which is where the prison planet, where the Emperor sent people, and it was pretty harsh, too. Uh, it was kind of like a desert planet in many ways, so it wasn't hard, as harsh as Arrakis, but it was it was not very hospitable either. Earth is barely mentioned. Um, they mention it once in Dune, and Messiah, they mention it once in Dune. I don't even think they mention Earth in Dune at all. Um, it, it was a very minor player, if, you know. Uh, it was nearly forgotten. I mean, this is 20... Uh, well, there's a cal- there's an almanac and a shroff, as he calls it. I don't know if that's Latin or what, but at the end of the book, and the dates are 10,000-something, but I don't know if those are A.D. or in some other calendar, because he mentions some book that was published in the 3rd century, but that is not our 3rd century. So I think this calendar, these could be many, many thousands of years in the future. So Earth is... They mentioned something, a planet Terra Hell in... Um, Dune Messiah, because that's where um, some conspirators got a nuke from. So apparently there are still people who live there, but they don't. That's the only mention of Earth that's in Dune Messiah. So it's barely on the stage at all in uh, the Dune universe. It's been a long time since I've read it, but I think I remember that there was an appendix or something similar that discuss some of the background of the stories and the dates and such and yes the dates didn't have anything to do with um, the dating system we have on earth well it's 10 o'clock here I'm going to say good night to everybody and uh, I guess we'll choose a book for next month each person okay well I will close up the meeting then by saying that our next meeting will be on July the 12th 2018 and if it's as nice out as it is now I'll probably be outside again so uh, we will see you all hopefully and more including Mary and perhaps some others next month and we will talk about books I will have more books next month as I said I'm in the middle of a few things so I'll have something next month um, from, from what I'm reading now and so we will talk to you all then